This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. So the message today has to do with not just the Bible, although the Bible plays a very, very important role. But if there were no Bible, what would happen? And what happens when our biblical values are challenged? And what's going to happen when you and I become persecuted for the belief that we have? You say, well, that'll never happen in Zimbabwe. But that's what they said throughout Europe when persecution for Christianity's sake flourished. That's what they've said throughout the world. And I'd like to just give you a few facts. Currently, 90,000 Christians are martyred annually around the world. Martyred. This means 15 Christians are martyred every six minutes. The impact of persecution in Syria alone. In 2011, there were 1.25 million Christians. Today, there are only 500,000 Christians left in Syria because of persecution. Donald Trump said it was a genocide. A genocide of Christians. China, 17,900 people that we know of were persecuted in China. We believe that the number of deaths in China is up 300% from 2013. 1,800 pastors were detained this year. Christianity's growth is unprecedented in this continent. It's expected that there will be more Christians in China by 2030 than there are in the United States of America. Pastor David just came back from working in China. He's working with Chinese pastors and leaders. They have to leave China. They have to go to nations like Indonesia where they meet and their meetings have been shut down many, many times because they are hungry for the word of God and, and the authorities don't want them to have the Bible. They don't want them to have the word of God. David said it was amazing. He said that the people would come from early in the morning until late at night and they would sit for hours taking notes, not falling asleep, scribbling anything they had. Many of them didn't even have Bibles. They would just, these were the pastors, taking notes, taking sermon notes, wanting teaching. There's something happening in the world today. Some of our history, we've seen persecution. The nation of Romania under Ceausescu, 5,000 priests, Orthodox priests were imprisoned. 500 were killed and over 1,700 church personnel were jailed, let alone how many fled. And, and, and the gospel was forbidden to be preached in that country. In Nigeria, closer to home, Last year, Christian killings increased by 62%. In 2014, 2,484 Christians were killed and 100 churches were attacked. 2015, 4,228 Christians were killed. 198 churches were attacked. And in 2016, 6,525 Christians were killed with 441 church attacks. The gospel will be preached but the Bible says all who live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 
even a little bit closer to home, is the DRC, where one million Christians have died as martyrs since the year 2000. One million. Even some of the dear pastors that, I was working, that I've been working with when I've gone up there, the senior pastor, the head of the movement, was poisoned and killed. He'd been poisoned five times. Finally, the fifth time, they killed him. For the gospel's sake, 100,000 Christians are killed every year because of their religion in the DRC. In Mozambique, we know what happened. When Samora Michel came to power, he thrust Christianity from the country. They were a purely scientific socialist country. Thousands of churches were confiscated, burned, and closed. Missionaries were expelled or imprisoned. Thousands of Christians and pastors were shipped into concentration camps. Bibles were forbidden and burnt. Samora Michel called for Christians and priests. They call, he called them puppets and monkeys. And he told them, you, you obey us and you forget Christ. They persecuted the church in that country. 75,000 were executed as reactionaries. 300,000 sent to concentration camps. And at one time, there was less than one Bible per thousand people during the 1980s. 75% of the gospel ministers in Mozambique, even today, have no formal training. We were part of that revival. When the Mozambican refugees came across the border, our church was the only church allowed into the refugee camps, 144,000 refugees. We were allowed to be in the camps permanently. We led 65,000 of those refugees to the Lord. 38,000 of them were our church members. And they went back and they're serving God. And our churches are flourishing. I don't think you understand the price tag. These people have paid a terrible price to get a little bit of training. I would dare say that most of you probably have a dozen Bibles sitting on your shelf in your house. We collect Bibles. I think I probably have 200 Bibles. I take them for granted. I have different languages. I have different versions. I have amplified. I have interlinear. I've got Hebrew English text, Hebrew Greek English text. I've got 26 translations of the Bible. That I, I mean, it's incredible the access to the Bible that we have. But here's what we've been doing. I believe that the Bible is so important. I believe that what we can do as a church is so important that I'm going to ask you, and I would like to challenge you, to what we call the Bible challenge. Just watch this. So it's missions month. What if everyone that you came into contact with felt the power of the Holy Spirit? What if everyone that you came into contact with, you were able to win them over with the kingdom of God and with love? And so this is a challenge that we are giving everyone in the church, whether you're in Benjura, whether you're in London, whether you're in Harare, here's what we're going to be doing. It's called the Invest in Eternity Challenge. And it's super simple. Jesus told us to go out and make disciples. Now, the first way you make disciples is through connection. And so we've got five ways that we're going to be reaching out to the community. And here it is. We're calling it the Invest in Eternity Challenge. And here's what it consists of. Every single one of us is going to become an ambassador with the truth and with the scriptures. Now, it's super simple. If you've never witnessed to anyone before, this is one of the easiest things to do. We just complicate it in our minds. So we have $2.50 Bibles 
uh, at the bookstore and we've got a really good price on it. We're not trying to make money off of this. We're really trying to get uh, the Bible in people's hands. And so we've already been doing this, but here's what happens. We're asking you to, to put aside money to invest in five Bibles, right? Five, everyone say five. And you grab the Bibles, okay? And you put them in the car. One of the things that happened to me the other day was I had Bibles in my car and the police pulled me over and they said, hey, listen, where is your ID? And I didn't have my ID on me, but I got my Bible and I said, here's my ID. He looked at me, he smiled, he laughed. He said, hey, listen, my other, uh, my other policeman doesn't have a Bible too. Can I get two? So I gave them two. Here's their idea. We want to try and challenge you to give away five Bibles in the month of March. Okay, you can do it with different people. You can say, I'll go two by two with my friend. You can make it a cell-based thing, but individually try and give away five Bibles. And here's how we do it. We've already been doing it on the streets, okay? We've had something called Street Church every Saturday. It's so easy, even my son has been doing it. He just gives away Bibles, connects with people, and it's amazing. So here's how to do it. Number one, you engage. Engage in the person's story. Engage, ask them, hey, listen, uh, things, are, things may be crazy in this nation right now. Things may be crazy in your life. The world's going upside down. Uh, how are you doing? So number one, engage. Number two, you tell them your story. Weave in your story with Jesus. Hey, I know you may be going through this. I went through a similar thing. Here's what Jesus did for me. Here's how the truth uh, of the Bible has really anchored me. Number three, ask them a question. Ask them where their journey is in Jesus Christ. How are you doing? Where's your walk with your faith? Where's your walk with Jesus? Where's your walk in church? Number four, pray with them. After you've asked them the question, where are they? Pray for them. Hey, you may be in a place where you're feeling sick. You may be in a place where you feel like there's doubt and no hope. Can I pray with you? No one will ever not want prayer. And if they do, they're probably closer to Jesus than we think. Uh, number five is give. Give, that's the last one. Give them something. So give them a Bible. Say, hey, listen, I'd like to give you this Bible. Inside all the Bibles, we have uh, ways to stay connected, ways that they can get prayer, ways that they can connect back to the community. So it's very simple. The other give you can say is, hey, listen, I'll give you my number. Uh, maybe I could follow up with you. You can do this in your community. So it doesn't have to be on the streets. It could be just your neighbor, down, neighbor next to you. What can I give? You could give them a time to meet again. One of the things we've done on the streets is we've told the street kids, hey, we'll meet you at nine o'clock, 9.30 every Saturday. And so we give them a time to connect back. So it's the five things. I'm gonna go through those five things again. Number one, you engage. Number two, you tell them your story. Number three, you ask them where they're at. Number four, you pray with them. And number five, you give them something. It's such an effective way to minister to people. So take on the challenge, invest in eternity. We wanna hear your feedback too. So we want you to post what God's done with you going out into the community on Facebook or on your social media so we can track and see what God's doing. We've already had amazing testimonies. We've had people come from the prisons who are now leading different groups of people um, in, in the spirit and in Bible studies. So remember to add the hashtag invest in eternity when you're telling your story. God is gonna use you incredibly in this month. And if each of us give five Bibles just in this church or just in your church, imagine the reach that we'd be able to get with people who've never really understood what the truth is. What if? Amen. So today in each of the foyers as you go, we have Bibles available to you, $2.50. Our goal is that each one of us somehow throughout this month, our missions month, take five Bibles. You find a way to buy five Bibles 
at $2.50 each. Like we said, we're not trying to make a profit on this. We're just trying to get these into your hands so that you can give them away. Inside of the inside cover, we've put a way to contact. They can make contact with a WhatsApp group. People can, but it also gives a, how to read the Bible, what, what, where to start. So we're helping in every way we possibly can to make you an effective minister. Those five steps are so easy. Any of us can remember them. I mean, the hung, this world is hungry, and when they can begin to get a hold of the Bible, we know that the Bible, the Word of God, can change us. The Bible is the incorruptible seed once this goes in a person's heart, it changes you. And we can all give testimony to that, but we need to get the seed to people. This month, Missions Month, let's do this through our cell groups. Let's do this. If you want to get involved on Saturday, we have a whole team that goes down into town. In fact, all of our churches are beginning to do this and, and in their locations. Cell groups are going out on a Saturday. They're just meeting people. They're, they're, they're showing and engaging people and giving them a Bible. Most people today are taking something. They're trying to get something, trying to get you to join their church. We're saying, no, no, we just want to give you something. And we want you to get to know Jesus. We want you to get to know Jesus. Amen? So I want to encourage you today on your way out, if you're prepared to, today, all, all month long, we'll have these Bibles available. So you'll be able to get them all month long. I went by faith and ordered a whole bunch of them. I hope we run out. Okay, because I believe that if everybody does this, I'll be ordering again by the middle of the month. So we can keep these Bibles in our cars, in our boots, in our homes, and we can give people the Bible. Give people the Word of God. What if everybody had the Word of God? Amen? Today I want to finish up uh, on my series. I'm just going to touch it today. The last three feasts, the fall feasts of the Lord. And... Uh, as we do this, I, I want you to look at the uh, screen up here because some people, no, the one before that, some people get confused about the timings. And so if you look at this, you'll see that on the inside in the red is the, uh, the, the, the months of the Gregorian calendar. Now, the Gregorian calendar happens to be the calendar that Gregory, the Pope at the time, and the Roman Empire uh, chose to use. And we call it the Gregorian calendar. This is one you and I use all the time. January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, and December. Well, if you can see, it starts there. But the Hebrew calendar starts in about our March, April. And, and it varies because it's based on the sun and the moons. The Gregorian calendar is based on the sun. Okay, we understand that. And there are other calendars that are based only on the moon. The, the Hebrew calendar is based on the sun and the moon. And so it, it shifts because you have both uh, sun and moon to take into consideration. So each year, Nisan, Iyar, Sivan, Tammuz, Av, El, Elul, Tishri, and it goes on. But the, the most important dates are the dates that we find around the feasts of God. God has feasts. And we talked about these feasts. You can put the next slide up. We talked about these feasts as the spring feasts, which take place in the early part of the year of Passover, unleavened bread, 
first fruits, and Pentecost. So this usually takes place in the month of Nisan, the very first part of the year, and it's the time of the barley harvest. It's the time of first fruits. It's, and, and, and then 50 days later in the summer, so this would be springtime, in the summer, uh, our springtime, in the summer uh, you have Pentecost, five, 50 days after these, this first festival. Now, God calls these feasts or festivals or holy days moed. The, the, the Bible says the word moed. And God called for these feasts. He gave these feasts to Moses on Mount Sinai. He says, I want my people to come before me. In fact, God commanded that his people, that the people of Israel would come before him three times in a year. Those three times are the three feasts. The spring feasts then Pentecost, and then the fall feasts. Those fall feasts, put that back up again, the fall feasts fall together as well. And those are known as trumpets, atonement, and tabernacle. Put the next slide up for me, would you? So this makes it a little bit easier. You have to understand that there are three harvests that God is interested in. The spring harvest, okay? The spring harvest really talks about the Jewish faith. It talks about Israel. It talks about the barley loaf. Okay, it's the, and so Jesus came to save the house of Israel. Didn't he come for Israel? Jesus was Jewish, by the way. Jesus was a Jew. He came to the Jewish house. He came to Israel. He, this all took place in Israel. But when Jesus came to be the Passover lamb, to be the unleavened bread, and to be the first fruits, that was Christ's first coming. But the Jewish faith couldn't see it. They missed it. They were looking for the second coming, trumpets, atonement, tabernacles, and the last great day. They were looking for the, 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 the conquering Christ, and they missed the suffering Christ. And therefore, God said, I will graft in the Gentile. God always had the plan to bring in the Gentile because God came to seek and save all the lost. He came to save everybody. Amen? So you and I got grafted in. The Gentile got grafted in. So we are into a Jewish root or a Hebrew root, the covenant of Abraham. We got grafted into that because of what Jesus did in the spring feasts. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, 50 days after the spring feast, after Jesus was resurrected, 50 days later, the church began. God didn't do away with Israel. He didn't do away with his people, but he started the church. And you and I have been a part of the church age ever since. This is the age of the church. We're involved in the church age. But we're coming into the fall season. We know that because the Bible teaches us that when you see the fig tree blossom, the fig tree is always Israel. Now, this is very symbolic and it's very important that you understand this. So I want to take just a few minutes this morning and talk to you about those last three feasts, the fall feast, trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles. So the first feast, the Feast of Trumpets, is called Yom Turah, T-E-R-U-A-H, Yom Turah. 
It's your, this, this is found in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, the 23rd verse. And it's found on the first day of the seventh month, the month of Tishri, okay, the seventh month on the Hebrew calendar, which falls around our September, our September. About the time we have Synod, September, October, it, it falls in that time period. And so we have our Synod at the time of the Feast of Trumpets, Tishri, in that month. And it symbolizes the blowing of the shofar, the blowing of the trumpets. And what they would do is they'd have over a hundred blasts on the shofar. So if you went to one of these feasts, poor Nick, I don't know if he'd have any lips left. Uh, you know, Nick Alexander, he, he, he'd have to blow this thing a hundred times. And on the hundredth time, they hold it. As long as they can hold it. And for the Hebrew people, it's a very important feast because it speaks of their history. It speaks of their past. But for you and I, it speaks prophetically of our future. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, the 51st and 52nd verse, the Bible says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in the moment, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. What is the last trumpet? Well, the last trumpet is that hundredth blast. So on the day of the Feast of Trumpets, they're blowing this shofar a hundred times. And on the hundredth time, when he holds that note, it says that the dead will be raised. Now, I could use that in church today. Would you just tap your neighbor to have the dead be raised in church today, Okay. <laughs> the feast was not only to be observed as a memorial, but like, the, like all seven feasts of Jehovah, it's prophetic. It points to the present gathering of Israel. How, how many of you know that Israel was scattered? And in 1948, there was no Israel. There was no nation of Israel. Israel had been scattered since 70 AD. It was gone. The nation had been disbanded. Everybody in 70 AD was dispersed. The great diaspora. You think Zimbabwe's had a diaspora? Israel, everybody was dispersed. There were no Jews left in the land. They went everywhere. And yet they hoped for a homeland. And if you study the history, you'll find out that in 1948, after the World War II, the Balfour Compact, and there's all kinds of laws that were passed. The United Nations finally did something that is unprecedented in history. They give a land back to a people, the Jewish people, and Israel is born again, reborn. This is so symbolic. Never before in the history of the world has this happened. But it was prophesied thousands and thousands of years ago. And it from Numbers chapter 10, verse 1 through 10, we understand that the blowing of the trumpet was for the calling or the gathering of the people of Israel. And you can see that also in Isaiah 43, verses 5 and 6, and, and in Ezekiel 36, verse 24. I don't have time to go through that. So now, today, there are nearly 7.5 million people that have been gathered from over 80 countries in the land of Israel. I mean, it's almost like we should be hearing God's trumpet blast, you know. The blowing of the trumpet also 
points to the return of Jesus Christ, our Messiah. And so, like all the feasts, they're prophetic. And the return of Yeshua, the return of Messiah, will come at the sound, at the sound of these trumpets. That's why we want to begin to practice the Jewish feasts, because just like they were practicing Passover and Jesus died on the Passover, was crucified, and he became the first fruits and was resurrected and on, on, the, on the day of first fruits. And then on Pentecost, the church was born. Those were specific days on a calendar. Well, we have specific days on the calendar of Hebrew events when we know that Christ will return. I can tell you, when those trumpets blow, it's the sounding of the return of Christ. I would sure hate to miss that. Now, we don't know what year, we don't know what, but we do know the season, we know the time, and I can tell you, you know the feast days. So, it's a dress rehearsal for us. Around that time, we're going to let you know, say, hey, guess what, guys? This would be a good time to get ready for Jesus' return. <laughs> Tap your neighbor. Say, I, I, think I, better, I, I think I want to be ready. The 10 days of Rosh Hashanah, okay? Rosh Hashanah is the Feast of Trumpets, okay? The 10 days from, through, through, through Yom Kippur up to Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. So you have this Jewish New Year, and it starts with the Feast of Trumpets, and there's 10 days, and, it and then it comes up to the time of Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. These are called, in the Hebrew vernacular, the Days of Awe. The Days of Awe. And what that simply means is this, is that the Hebrew people take these days, these 10 days, and they meet before the God, before Almighty God, and they say, Lord, we are here to consider our hearts, to consider our lives and our sins before you. And the people go into a time of repentance. And they ask forgiveness from God for their sins of omission and their sins of commission. And they ask him to restore them from anybody that they've harmed. And it's a time of restitution. It's a time of making things right. It's a time of understanding that, wait a minute, I want to be right with God. And so they take this season, they take this time. And it's, now, you and I do that all the time, don't we? <laughs> we should because for us, we live in a relationship with Christ. But once a year, the Jewish people will go to their synagogue. They recite long prayers. They confess their sins. And they pray to God that he should inscribe them for the coming year. And then an amazing thing happens. Nine days after Yom Terah, the blowing of trumpets, the nine days after the Feast of, the, of Trumpets, the Bible specifies the observance of a fast. And then comes the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, on the 10th day, the Day of Atonement. In Leviticus 23, verses 26 through 27, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also the tenth day of this seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls, and an offering will be made by fire to the Lord. On this day, two goats are brought before the high priest. One is sacrificed, and the other, the high priest, lay their hands on this goat, and it represents the sins of Israel. 
And then they take the goat outside of the city gate and they turn it loose. It's known as the guilt offering or the sin offering or the scapegoat. Have you ever heard of the scapegoat? This is the scapegoat. The scapegoat carries the sins and nobody ever touches the scapegoat. But this is a picture of prophecy. You see, the Feast of Atonement not only typified Jesus' first coming, he became the scapegoat. He was taken outside of the gates and hung on a cross for our sins. But he was also the offering on the altar that paid the blood sacrifice for our sins. This is the picture of, this is a picture of our atoning Christ. But it also speaks and typifies the second coming of Jesus Christ and Israel's national salvation. The day of atonement is for Israel. How many of you know you and I have already been atoned for because we've accepted Jesus Christ? How many of you know that Israel is still waiting for an atonement? Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur is the most solemn and the most important day in the biblical calendar in the Jewish mind. Only once each year was an Israelite permitted to go behind the veil into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle or in the temple to approach the Lord where the Spirit of God resided above the mercy seat. You see, the high priest on the Day of Atonement went through a very complex set of sacrifices to atone not only for his sins and his family's sins, but for the sins of the nation. And I just went through the picture of the, the two goats, the scapegoat, and all the things that they did. And, and then each family brought a, an offering at that time, and, and they brought an offering at that time. And so this is an incredibly powerful time. But then the high priest would take the blood of the sacrificed lamb, the one that they're going to sacrifice, and once a year he would go in behind the veil into the Holy of Holies where God's presence was, and he'd sprinkle that blood on the, what's called the mercy seat, where the two cherubim, the two angels, are presiding over the Ark of the Covenant. He would sprinkle the blood there to atone for one year for their sins. But this was such a scary event that if the man of God, if the, whole, if, the, if the high priest was not prepared, if he was not holy, and you have to understand how he dressed, he wore a garment that had on the bottom of it bells and pomegranates. Now the pomegranates were like pom-poms. But you could hear every time he walked, you'd hear the bells. Ding, 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 ding. Do you know why that was important? Because before he would go into the Holy of Holies, they would tie a rope on his leg. So that if while he was in the presence of God, he happened to die. Because how do you get him out of there? If Because nobody's going to go in there because they'll get killed. They would just pull him out from under the curtain and say, well, we'll try again next year. <laughs> this is a very serious event in Hebrew thinking. We're dealing with a living God. Amen? Hallelujah. And this was the one time in the year that anyone would ever invoke what's called the Tetragrammaton, the name of God. The name of God. 
This is the only time that the high priest would ever speak the name of God. After he came out of the Holy of Holies, he would stand before the great congregation. All of Israel was there. Everybody had to come to this. And he'd hold up his hands and he'd pronounce the Hebrew blessing using the name of God. Now I'm going to tell you something. This was a very important feast. It's the only time in the year that they ever used the name of God. One time in the year. Because they believe that the name of God is unutterable. The blood of bulls and goats, Hebrews tells us, cannot atone for our sin. And for the Jews, it didn't provide a permanent or a true forgiveness of their sins. That's why Jesus came in the form of a human sacrifice. He sacrificed himself. He was sentenced to death in the temple by the high priest. And the high priest said prophetically, it was good that one man should die for the nation. It was a prophecy. This all happened on this day, at this time. He was led outside of the walls to bear the sins of the people. All the people of the world. When the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians, by the way, this is important to understand, and then later on again by the Romans, how many of you know there's no longer a holy of holies? How many of you know that the Jewish faith has no way to atone for their sins? There are no more animal sacrifices. That's why there's a movement that says, hey, we need to rebuild the temple so we can have an atonement. Are you learning anything today? But we know that there doesn't need to be a temple because know you not that when you're born again, you become the temple of the Holy Ghost, that the Holy Spirit abides on the inside of you? Don't you understand that we have access to boldly go into the throne of grace before the mercy seat, not on the basis of anything we do, not on our goodness, but because of the blood of Jesus? The blood of Jesus was shed once and for all so you and I can go before God and say, Father, Abba, Father, God, we thank you. But for the Jews, there's still a day of atonement coming. It's prophetic. It's in the future. By the way, I'm not sure that the Day of Atonement suits you and I much because if we've had the blast of trumpets and Jesus has come, we're probably, I'm not sure what happens, but we may be out of here. I'm not 100% sure about that because there's so many points of view out there, but it would look like He's coming back for his bride. And then he's going to deal with his Jewish nation. And there'll be a once and for all atonement. I don't want to get too specific on that because there are a hundred points of view. But we're in the ballpark, okay? And uh, so this was the day. But for you and I, we know that any day is a good day to approach the Lord with fear and awe that he deserves to repent of our sins and to thank him for his son sacrificing to us and for being our continuous at one at atonement. We are at one with God because of what he did on the cross, what he did for us, okay? Hallelujah. And then finally, the last feast is Sukkot. Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, in the Old Testament times, the Israelites would gather in Jerusalem 
And this is all at the same time. This is a 14-day cycle. This is 14 days of, of, of this season. It starts with the blowing of the trumpets, the, 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 the feast of trumpets. It goes straight into atonement. And then it's followed by this Sukkot, Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. And they would gather together, and for seven days, uh, or sometimes I think there's a disparaging, but sometimes for the full 14 days, they would make booths outside of their house, and they would live in these booths. And they would chop down trees and palm branches, and they would make these temporary shelters, and nobody would live in their house. They'd go out and live in these huts, these small booths made from leafy branches of trees, and they would rejoice and worship God. In fact, Leviticus 23, verses 39, says, so beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you've gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. So there are seven days. The first day is the Sabbath rest, and the eighth day also. This is the day of Sabbath rest. On that first day, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord for your God for seven days. Celebrate this as the festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters. So your descendants will know that I, the Israelites, live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. How many of you know that the children of Israel lived in temporary shelters for 40 years? They're remembering that. The prophetic significance here is the reigning of Jesus Christ on earth. This is often called the millennial rule, the millennial rule of Christ. So the Feast of Tabernacles was to last for seven days and was mandated as a celebration and it was supposed to be the most joyful of all the celebrations. These seven days were supposed to be full of joy. In fact, it's the only feast where the Israelites are commanded by God to rejoice in Deuteronomy 6.14. And they have, uh, after the five... uh, Starting five days after the Day of Atonement, on the 15th of Tishri, that's in September, October, this feast extended for seven days. The first and the last days are days of solemn rest, Sabbaths. Tabernacles was also known as the Feast of Ingathering. It was also known as the Feast of Booths. On the first day of the feast, each participant had to collect branches of wild olive, myrtle, willow, palm trees, and construct their booths. You'll see that in Nehemiah chapter 8. Then they lived in them for seven days. This celebrated the final harvest of the year. How many of you know that God has one great harvest where everything finally comes in? Now we have a harvest of souls, a harvest of people's lives. We're going to see the greatest harvest of souls the world has ever seen. That's why we want you to do this Bible challenge. That's why we want you to do what we're Uh, encouraging you to do, and hashtag. What are we going to hashtag? What are we hashtagging? Investing in eternity. Investing in eternity. That's why this is important to us. Because we're going to see and be part of the greatest harvest that's ever happened. The children of Israel would, the Israelites, in Jerusalem mainly, would sit under these huts where they could see through 
and not only be covered by the sun, but they could look up between the branches because it's not rainy season, and they could see the stars, and they could remember how great their God was and how he delivered them and how he kept them and he kept their children and their families. And they would talk about the stories of God's greatness and his deliverance. There's, other, there's two more things that happened. After the Mosaic time, part of the tradition began to be that the Jewish people would tie this event to water and light. And so you'd have this temple of lights, that you had this, this feast of lights in the temple where they would have lights all over the temple and, and, and candelabras and lights. And, and, and at the same time, they would go to the pool of Siloam and take up water. And, 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 and this is very, very symbolic. And uh, you know, you'll remember that, uh, that Jesus made his proclamation in the temple during this time, during Sukkoth. And he says, in the last day, that last day of the great feast, the great feast, this is the last day of this great feast, Yeshua, or Jesus, stood up and cried. And he says, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You know what he was doing? He was challenging at that time everything that was going on in temple worship. He said, you worship in a temple, he says, but I'm telling you, the temple is amongst you. He says, you worship with types and shadows, he says, but I'm the real thing, I'm here. And he says, if you receive me, out of your belly shall flow rivers of water. He was talking about two things. He says, number one, he says, if you drink of the water, that's salvation for you. He says, but there's something else that happens. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, rivers of living water will flow out of you. So these are all types and figures and pictures, and these feasts are upon us right now. Put that last slide up. I may have two more. So if you look at this, we have four feasts that are fulfilled. Okay, we have Passover, which is the cross. We have unleavened bread, which is us being cleansed from our sins, and that was Jesus uh, then we have the, first, the Feast of Firstfruits, which is the resurrection. Then between the resurrection and the Feast of Ta Trumpets is the church age, Pentecost. On the Feast of Trumpets, I'm going to tell you something. The Bible says that when the cup of the Gentiles is full, it's over. What does it mean to have the cup of the Gentiles full? It means the Gentiles' time is over. Whoever's saved, whatever's going to happen for the Gentiles is done, and it reverts back to the atonement for Israel. The day of atonement, that's for Israel. And then finally, the millennium rule for all of us, that's when the saints, the church, comes coming back with Jesus for his rule and reign on earth for a thousand years. That's a pretty neat picture, don't you think? Did I have one more slide, or is that the last one? That's the last one, okay. I got carried away. So what does this mean for you and I today? If you're Jewish, I guess you can wait for the Day of Atonement. If you're still looking. But even if you're Jewish here today, your Messiah came in the form of Jesus Christ. You just missed him. You thought he was to be a conquering Messiah and you didn't see the dip between the two mountain peaks. The conquering Messiah is here and you were here, but the dip showed 
the lily of the valley. Jesus dying on a cross. Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of his peace was upon us, upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Jesus died for you and I. Today that atoning power, we don't have to wait for it for a day of atonement. We can receive it right now. He is our atonement. So you may be here today. You may be Jewish. You may be a real good churchgoer. But did you know that going to church doesn't make you a Christian? You may be coming to this church. You've been coming for years. And you think, I go to celebration. Well, good for you. Good for you. But, you know, if you sat in the garage, would that make you a Volkswagen? Just because you sit in the church doesn't make you a Christian. What makes us a believer in Jesus Christ, what makes us Christian is when we accept what Jesus did on the cross, what he died for. We say, I need what he died for. See, it's not about your label. It's about a relationship. It's not about whether you're one brand or one version of religion or another. You know, I grew up in a very strict religion when I was a kid. And I promise you, I was proud to be that religion. And I was diligent in that religion. In fact, every morning I'd go to our religious service. I was a Catholic, and I'd go to Mass every single morning of my life. Every morning at 6 o'clock, I was an altar boy for about four years. I learned the whole Mass in Latin, and then they changed to English. I was so upset. <laughs> I was so angry. But you know, here's the amazing thing. As much as I love God, and I did love God, I have to tell you, I had a, I had a God spoke to me, but I wasn't saved. I didn't know Jesus. Had I died, I, gone, I believe I would have gone to hell. Because there came a moment in my life, there came a time when I heard the gospel for the first time, I heard it. Somebody said, you must receive Jesus. You must receive the atonement. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Not a church. No church died for your sins. Jesus died. No prophet died for your sins. You're not attached to a prophet. You're not attached to a man of God. You're not attached to me. Don't you get attached to me. Oh, I'm pastor. You, you may be a disciple in this house, but I'll tell you what, I hope you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, not of Pastor Tom. Don't you just believe me when I tell you. You better study for yourself and see what the Bible says. You know, I, 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 Zimbabweans, I'm, I'm tired of so many Zimbabweans. Ooh, I follow this prophet, that prophet. I'm, I'm of Paul. I'm of Paulus. I'm of, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. None of us died on the cross for your sins. None of us paid the price. And at very best, at very best, we are imperfect sinners just like you doing our very best to study and be used of God to help all of us grow. When I preach to you, I want you to know I'm preaching to me too. So if you're a part of this church, I'm not pointing to myself. I'm not even pointing to the church. I'm saying, let's look to Jesus. He's the author. He's the perfecter of our faith. And if you're here today and you think that, hey, because you come to church here, somehow that you're a good person or somehow that's going to give you some kind of kudos with God in heaven. I want you to understand something. That's not true. 
The only thing that can save you is when you willingly and openly recognize that it was Jesus who died on the cross. He became our atonement. And only through accepting him can we become one with him and open our hearts to him and have salvation. So I'm going to ask you all right where you're at just to think about that. Look, bow your heads and just think about that. Think about where am I at today? Where am I at today? While you're thinking about it, if your conclusion is that you only have religion, you don't really have Christ, or you only have a relationship with the church, or maybe you're here because your wife has you here, or your husband, or maybe you're here because it's just the right thing to do, or this is the right church to be in for your upward mobile career or, 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 or some other reason. I don't know why you're here. But if it's any other reason than Jesus is my Lord and Savior, then today I command you to repent and come to Jesus. And if you've never accepted Christ, if you've never been born again, I command you to repent from your sin. Repent from not accepting what God provided for you and come and give your life to him today. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not asking you to follow me. I'm asking you to give your life to Christ, the son of the living God. He is your atonement. He is your Passover. He's everything on that list I gave you, those seven feasts. He represents them all. And God planned it from the foundation of the world for you. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.